Hello again, everybody. I'm Carly Chardonnay Webb. This is the Transporter Room, the intersection of sports, transness, sci-fi gaming, all things nerd and geek, and a lot of other stuff. And been another rough week for inclusion as we head into this week. Um, first, the decision in Indiana to overturn the governor's veto of House Bill 1041. That was decided on Tuesday. That means, regrettably, that one of my favorite sporting events in the world, my favorite sporting event, the Indianapolis 500, is now on the list of sporting events that are held in places that have passed anti-trans legislation. Now that pains me. Just as much as some news I got from friend of the podcast, Zoe's effort. It was determined that on Monday that Montana's Department of Health and Human Services have passed an emergency rule saying that, in effect, there's no way a transgender Montanan can have the gender marker changed on their birth certificate. Regardless of the law and regardless of a pending lawsuit in that state. So as you can see, as we head into Pride 2022, inclusion and LGBTQ rights are kind of taking some rights to the jaw right now. But there's been a lot of good in this week. This week for me is a piece of personal history. On May 23rd, 2019, three years ago, this past Monday, One of the most beautiful things in my life happened. I got to experience something that is something that trans people like myself treasure. My legal name was changed on that day, May 23rd, 2019. I was Carly Emmeline Chardonnay Webb forever. And it felt really good. Three days later, I was competing in a softball tournament, representing my local league where I live in Connecticut. And I was in the back seat of a lift, heading off to dinner, when I was looking at my iPad, my iPad and I was watching the NCAA Division II Outdoor Track and Field Championships that are being ran in Kingsville, Texas. And I saw my dear friend, my sister, Cece Telford, then a senior at Franklin Pierce University of New Hampshire, put up a wire-to-wire run to glory in history in the 400-meter hurdles, and I'll never forget that race. I felt happy tears after it was over. That history happened this week, three years ago. Later that year, she was one of the first guests on a fledgling podcast called <laughs> The Transporter Room. I tell you, I was, I was watching that race, and I'm, I'm, in the, I'm in the car. Chris and Allison, two of my softball teammates, are in the Uber. And I'm trying to contain my excitement. I was watching you run. <laughs> it, it's hard. I mean, it's hard to contain this. It's, it's, it's hard. Oh my God. 
Big time. That's so right. I'm seeing you, and I'm like, go, go, go. I'm like, I'm, I'm in the back seat just going, and I'm, and I'm grinning from ear to ear. And for me, if, I mean, that whole week, <laughs> that whole week meant a lot. Because, you know, yeah, honestly, two days before that race, two days before that race, my name change became legal. So, oh, yeah. And I, I failed to mention that you have been a part of this journey with me since um, Indoor Nationals, like since even before that. And you were a big part of my motivation because you checked up on me almost every single day. You, you sent me this amazing, oh, my God, you sent me this awesome poem that cheered me up. Like, and I read it before I warmed up for my 100 and 400 race. And I was just like, my sister, like, I was just like, oh my God, like, this is my motivation. Like, I'm going to turn this emotion into determination and into like ripping up the track. And I want to thank you so much for being behind me uh, all the way 100%. And, you know, like having you on my back and knowing that you were watching and knowing that you were supporting me, I had something to run for. You know what I mean? But besides everything else that I was thinking about, like you were the main like ideology in my head. Cause I knew that you were watching. I know that you were keeping up with me and I kind of didn't want to disappoint you. So I, I knew that I knew what I had to do. Oh, oh girl, stop. <laughs> you, you did. Wow. And yet I, oh, I saw real. my sister race today. Yes. I saw my sister race today, and, and you know, there's a there was a new there was a I had to remix that. Oh my god! You went through, uh, you went through a lot to get to those yeah. blocks that night in Texas. What was it like that year when you were away? What? How did that fuel this? I'm I picked up on myself to to like start preparing myself. Um, in the summer, because I was like, if my coach turns me down for joining the team, then at least I can try to find somebody else to help me fight whatever is going on so I can be an athlete for one more year, be a collegiate athlete for one more year and see where it takes me. And coming into it, and once the track meet started, the very first track meet of the indoor season of my last collegiate year, everything like I was, everything blew up. and. I started getting um, hate mail. I started getting uh, uh, people started making fake accounts and like messaging me on Instagram, like saying that they're going to kill me. They know where I live. Like I was facing a lot of discrimination and hate. And then when, you know, Donald Trump Jr. posted the tweet uh, and then tagged me in it, that's when it just like, it all went downhill. I was an emotional roller coaster, considering the fact that I was taking some aggressive courses my first semester of my final collegiate year. And it was really hard to focus on my academics. Everything just spiraled downwards for me. And it, was, it, it showed a lot in my academic performance and my athletic performance because I was just, I was losing so much from my academic performance and it mattered so much to me because I really wanted to go to medical school. I really wanted, wanted to go to uh, nursing school. And I was taking some really aggressive courses and it really affected me emotionally and like physically. And I just felt like it was a lot at the time. And every time I went to a track meet, I just knew that I had to make up for that in my athletic performance. You know what I mean? Like I didn't do so well on that test. I have a track meet this weekend. I can't let that affect my performance. You know what I mean? And it was really hard going to these track meets and competing and seeing all these faces that I knew that they were, you know, they were talking crap and they were all judging me and they were all throwing throwing shade and people were making fun of me and like 
it was literally going on the track, competing, running to the bathroom, hiding, depriving my, uh, segregating myself from all that negative energy. And just like, I would literally compete and like hide myself after I, I compete. And I felt so bad because my teammates were out there competing and I needed to support them. You know what I mean? And then after indoor nationals, everything changed. I, I was, I was, I was trying to have a better attitude. I was trying to, um, I was trying to like really, you know, stay in that like positive attitude and trying to show the world that like, I'm not going to let you phase me because you don't know what you're saying. You don't know what unfair is until you've been in that position. So I, I started to have this attitude of, um, if you've been in that position, I'm not going to listen to you because you don't know what you're saying. You just have this egocentric mentality. That's what I tell myself of all these ignorant individuals is that they have an egocentric mentality. And it was really hard that first semester. First semester was so hard. And then coming into the outdoor season, I knew that I had to leave that attitude behind, that depression, that negativity, that, that, um, that all of that sadness behind. So, and then Carly came out of nowhere and I just had so much, something more to focus my energy on. And I had somebody else validating, you know, who I, who I am. And it was just so awesome having Carly there to talk to, to, you know, like send some texts to, and, and honestly, it, it, it meant a lot. Even with all the difficulties that we're seeing legislation, what you might've seen on HBO, HBO's Real Sports this week, their in-depth interview with Castor Semenya, where the great South African running champion talked about the things she went through. At one point, telling the officials, look, if you really need to see my genitals so bad, fine, I'll show them to you. It's horrible what Semenya went through. It's horrible what trans youth are going through. The don't say gay bill that was passed in Florida, that's horrible. The fact that there's a Lone Star KGB down in Texas that are going to try and go after parents who are affirming their children and call them child abusers, it's aberrant and it's repugnant. But I want to take a minute and take this podcast to talk about a lot of good that's happening. And a lot of good's happened this week. The Los Angeles Dodgers are on their way to setting a Pride Night ticket sales record. Sid Ziegler had the story about that in Sports. Alex Rimmer's doing what Alex Rimmer does best. Call out homophobia whenever you see it. Another great story about that. That's in Sports. And there's a young high school swimmer who wrote their coming out story, talked about how coming out led them to speak out. That's an out sports. You want to read that. And two friends of this podcast both did something pretty great this past weekend. They graduated from college. One in undergrad, one graduated from law school. And both of them were on this podcast since I became the solo host of it this week, last year. I want to thank you all for your support. It was a daunting task to take this podcast over, but you know something? With all of you giving me fuel 
It's happened. And in that mind, I want to celebrate a couple of people who got those degrees this week. And the first one is a young former softball player I got to meet last October. Their name is E. Kerr, or now also known as Elias Aaron Kerr. They crossed that threshold I did earlier this year when they claimed their name. Now, Kerr was a standout high school softball player in Massachusetts, and they chose the University of Scranton for college. The freshman year is 2018. Six game appearances that freshman year. COVID scuttled the sophomore season. And during that canceled season, Kerr came out to their team as non-binary. The response of the team, all the way to the head coach, was positive. Given that University of Scranton is a Catholic university, that's a quantum leap. The next season, Kerr, still recovering from affirming top surgery, made a single appearance on the mound. But after that season, they decided to make their move. To make the move that would make them feel whole. They started masculinizing hormones. And by NCAA rule, made themselves ineligible to compete in a women's sport. Kerr had become the team manager and kind of a de facto coach, valued voice for LGBTQ student issues on campus, and they wrote a book of three, two, one. And in that interview, we got to see a piece of their journey. What led you to make that decision? How easy was it or how difficult was it to make that decision? Ultimately, what was the factor that, says, that said, I need to move forward. I need to do this. So last spring, I actually had top surgery, which was the main priority for me in regards to my medical transition. Um, and I knew that once I started recovering from that, it was kind of like, I need to keep going with this. Like I, I wanted to start hormones from the day I knew I wanted top surgery. I just was trying to figure out when, because softball was such a big part of my life. And I knew about that, that rule. And so I kind of just figured it's now or it's never like, I'm either going to do this now, or I'm just going to keep pushing it off and keep putting myself through this mental pain that I couldn't handle dealing with anymore. Where did you find a place to cope, heal, and or compartmentalize? Um, my teammates have always been the most supportive people in the world of my transition. My teammates, my coaches, they are, they will do anything for any one of us. And that has been the most supportive part of transitioning and making this decision to step down as a player. In terms of like trying to compete to play, I've always been the kind of person who is a team player rather than an individual player. So I would rather see my team succeed, even if it means I never see a minute on the mound, than pitch every single inning and potentially not have our team do as well. So I've, once I like was starting to address some of the mental pain that I was going through, it was kind of an easy transition to start hormones because I knew like 
my team's going to do well regardless of if I'm pitching or not. I just want to be there to support and to add to that process. What was it like first telling your team that it's time for me, it's time for me to truly be E the way I want? When I told them I was having top surgery, they were all so kind. They wrote me a card and got me like a gift basket after. And then I, they knew I was going to start hormones after because I'm very open about like all of that with them. And so it's just kind of been like, they love having me there and they always support me and it's not really changed anything. Let me make sure I heard what I just heard. You went up to your coach and said, this is me. This is who I am. This top surgery is happening. Yeah. And coach says, in a sense, okay, we've got your back. And they brought people in and canceled a practice. Yep. Did I did I hear that right? Yeah, she was very like focused on making sure I felt comfortable with my teammates and they felt comfortable and understanding of my identity. How did that make you feel? I was very happy. I thought it was it was awkward at the time because a lot of them did have questions. And it was like, I'm very open with them, but it was just like a setting where it was so, it was a group setting. So I was a little nervous, but I just felt like I was a hundred percent comfortable with these people. And, you know, I'd always felt comfortable with them, but there was this level of like miscommunication in a sense where I know they didn't know too much about my experience, but having them have that background and that education, like I felt very supportive and almost like I had this family rallying behind me. Knowing that we were all on the same page after that meeting was very calming for me. And it just made me feel very empowered. And like I was doing something right in terms of my transition and bringing people into my family. And I don't know, it was just, it was amazing. I'm still blown away from what I just heard. How vital, looking back on it, was having not just the team support, but the wider institutional support. Yeah, it was, it's been amazing. Like I go to a very Catholic school. We're a Jesuit university, which is a little different from strict Catholicism. There's more science and reasoning and questioning of religion and like including, you know, education and science and research into that. And so I was very worried that it was going to be a little hard to identify differently from my teammates and my peers here, but it's, I found niches where I can bring in my experience and my identity and allow for some education. And I've been able to impact a lot of people, I hope, and at least make it so people feel safe and comfortable, no matter what they identify as, no matter if it's LGBTQ related or not. With that in mind, what has it been like for you away from the team, just in just in the campus and the community at large? It's it's different. It's definitely an everyday struggle in some cases. Like I'm in a small program at my school. I'm in a five year master's in occupational therapy program. And so we all there's like 50, 55 of us, and we all have the same teachers every every few years. It's a very small and close knit community. And so we all know a lot about each other's lives. It's almost like a small town. Everyone knows what's going on. And so I have very understanding classmates, 
but some of the professors have been a little confused by everything that's been happening, especially if they've had me multiple times, like pre-transition and then now. So that I always make sure I send out pre-semester emails to them being like, hey, this is my name that I prefer to use. These are my pronouns. I understand it can be hard. If you have any questions, like feel free to ask. And most of them have been pretty good. There's been a few issues, but I'm hoping that in the next few months, I'm able to address that with some help of our Office of Equity and Diversity um, in providing safe zone training and workshops, which gives like a basic foundation of LGBTQ identity and definitions to our faculty so that they're able to hopefully trickle that down into the student body as well. In a sense, you've been doing a great deal of educating through this. Yeah. How do you feel about taking on that role? Um, it's important to me just because I know education is important in general, but being able to add personal experience to that and provide personal examples can be more impactful than just sitting down and looking at a list of definitions. And so I think not only is it something that I love doing, but I feel like I have to do to be able to make this university a place where I can be comfortable and people like even when I'm gone, can feel comfortable and feel like they belong here because I love it here and I hope they do too. And I just want it to be a more community-based space. You know, you sound like the scouting report you wrote four years ago right now. There's a scouting report that you wrote. I am a hard worker in the classroom and on the softball diamond. I want the ball when the game is on the line. Is this what the game being on the line means for you now, in a sense, taking this next step forward, but also using this as an opportunity to raise awareness. Yeah. I think I want, if I'm going to get, if someone's going to get the game ball, I think it has to be someone who's experienced living as a trans person in this community. That's, there's not too many of us, especially at my school. So I want to be able to, make people feel comfortable and know that you can be queer here. Like it's not abnormal and it's not something to look down upon. It's an open community and we all support each other and understand things. When was that first moment or that amalgam of moments for you when you looked up and said, okay, there's something about me that's trending a little bit different. I think I've always had those moments in my life. I identified as a lesbian before I came out as trans. And so I was more aware of my identity in terms of sexuality growing up. But I think once I was able to educate myself on identity and start to recognize some of the things that were pointing to me being gender variant, like me being trans, it was kind of like, oh, this is an actual thing that I'm going to have to address at some point and explore a little more. And so that kind of happened, I think, my freshman year of college. Um, I started to bind. I started to want to cut my hair. I've always kind of dressed masculinely, but I wanted to strictly dress in men's clothing. And I know these are like very superficial things, but that's really what pointed me towards exploring my own gender. How did the sport play into that, did, if it did? Um, the sport never really showed me, in a sense, that I identified as trans, that I'm not a female. 
it honestly worked against that because I can't really do a lot physically to make myself not feel dysphoria while playing the sport. And so once I started to really tune into my body and understand my body a little bit more, it was kind of conflicting with softball because I started to go to practice and think, I feel like I'm suffocating in this uniform. I feel like I am not in the right body even more. Okay. Now, E, I'm going to tell you something that hit me right in the chest because I feel the same way. I say that I say often that sport is a means to fight my dysphoria, but it also triggers it. Yeah. And how did you push through, especially when you were back at back in Holliston, Mass, hitting 455 and with an ERA somewhere like in the 2.5s and getting people and punching people out with six pitches? Because, yes, we did read your scouting report. Fastball change, knuckle change, curve, screw, drop, rise. You've got seven. That is seven weapons in the arsenal that you can use at your command. Mm -hmm. You were a nasty, nasty player. How did you maintain that level, but at the same time dealing with that feeling, like you just said, you were being suffocated? What was that like? to like take these two very different things and function. It was really hard. I like looking back now, if I had this awareness of my body and of my identity back in high school, I don't know if I would still be playing softball because when it started to really be brought to light in my mind, it was hard for me to pitch. It was hard for me to want to go to practice knowing I was going to be in the wrong body and having to use that body to perform so well and to compete, even though I didn't want to be in that body at all. And so I just don't know what, what it would have been like for me. And it was really hard um, sophomore year and last year, just trying to go to practice and, and play because my brain was so caught up in the dysphoria and it was just hard for me to focus on wanting to compete and wanting to play the sport do you miss softball i miss a lot of the the competition like i miss having that like competitive aspect to it but at the same time i'm still involved with my teammates and that honestly is the most important part to me um like i i think it was the best decision that i could have made and it was the right time because i did have the experience of playing on this team and growing those relationships and now i'm going to continue having those relationships now as a manager and I still get to be involved as much as I can. So it's kind of like I'm not really too far away from it. Prior to all this, even in a relatively young life, you have a lot of achievements back there. Yeah. You have a lot of awards and accolades back there. Have you even looked at, for example, how you look at that time and how you see that time through the prism of right now? Um and if so, what do you what do you take with you? What do you cast to the side? What do you compartmentalize if you need to? How is that process of, in a sense, reconciling, if you feel the need to, reconciling that past to the present and to the future that you're building for yourself? I still have trouble seeing my former self and my like transition self, in a sense, as the same person. I feel so detached from the person that I was. 
from this person that I am now. And that's kind of bothersome to me because I did have a lot of experiences and achievements and things that have happened in my past that do impact me now, but it's hard for me to recognize them as happening to me. So trying to find this way of connecting myself in the, in the past to now is something that I'm working on through therapy, through writing, through just thinking through this process and this transition. Like how am I, how was I that person and this person at the same time? You mentioned you're a writer. Yeah. Are these things, some of the things you're writing about? You've published a book. Yeah. You've written some poetry. Talk about that a little bit. And also like kind of how do these experiences play out in your writing? A lot of my writing is focused on personal trauma and experiences. Um, I write what I know and what I know is what I've experienced. And so right now I'm working on a whole, another book, a whole project on gender and kind of what it means to be considered queer or a queer writer, which has been very confusing. There's a lot of different takes on it, um, theoretically and philosophically through some of the stuff I've been reading and also kind of my own definitions of it. So I am hoping that through a lot of what I'm writing, I'm able to understand my identity on a deeper level. That's not just my physical body. Talk about the book you've written. What's the title of it? Where can I get it? Because based on what you've talked about here, I'd be interested in reading that. I'd be interested yeah. in, in taking in these perspectives. Um, so it's called An Instant of Sound. And if you just type in An Instant of Sound, Eker, it'll probably pop up. It's from a website. You can get it on a website called Blurb. Um, and it's a combination of poetry and art because I am trying to work on this theory that I've had for a while that trauma is multimodal just as portraying trauma in literature is multimodal. So being able to use both art and poetry to say something in a piece to me is more impactful and more meaningful than just having one versus the other. And so I talk a lot about my trauma based on gender, sexuality, um, and some of the experiences I've had over the past few years with that. And how that's all kind of made me into the person I am today and impacted my life today. Yeah, writing is the probably the single most important part of my life. It's been there for me when I've been so down on myself and in a dark place. And it's been there for me through the best moments of my life. And so that's been just so important in capturing my experience and reflecting on my experiences. One thing, you've probably paid attention to some of the things you're seeing in the landscape in regards to, for example, those who say the NCAA shouldn't have a policy, that trans athlete, the, the transgender kids should not be allowed to play sport in their schools. There shouldn't be a such thing as a trans student athlete. How are you feeling and what's your thoughts on, for example, some of this legislation is coming out and the things that you're seeing and hearing in the landscape in regards to the issue? I have mixed feelings about it because I think on one hand, there needs to be rules and regulations so that people who don't identify as trans can't abuse the system. But on the other hand, you're basically saying who gets to control whose body. And that is kind of a very strange line 
and it's not really too defined. I think a lot of the legislation is very baseline. I think it's all or nothing when it should be case by case. Like I think it should be a case by case thing and looked at based on uh, individuals' identity, their performance prior to transitioning, their performance after transitioning, where they feel comfortable, what the sport entails itself. I think it just has to be a case-by-case thing. I think legislation is doing more harm than good. There are those who say that body autonomy shouldn't even have a measure in this. What's your thoughts on those who say, like, there's no trans body autonomy... There's no such thing. I think that's just erasing a whole group of people because I think trans people have this beautiful connection with their body, whether it's a good relationship or not. We are able to understand our bodies in a whole other way than cisgender people. And that's so beautiful, even though it can be very heavy and destructive in our heads. It's so beautiful that we're able to see this is not the body I should be in. And I'm going to do steps to make it feel like a home. And I think try, saying that trans autonomy shouldn't be a thing is erasing this whole group of people who just have this whole perspective on the body itself. And I think that's a very valuable perspective. Even as you're not playing anymore, how important is it for you to still be a part of the University of Scranton team? It's very important to me. I. I was going back and forth for a long time this summer on, can I be a manager? Am I ready to not be a player? Can I take on this role that won't involve me actively playing on the team? And ultimately it came down to these people are my family and I want to leave a legacy in this program, regardless of if I'm on the field or not. How do you see that legacy? Hopefully it's a good one. Um, I want upcoming athletes in my university and beyond to see that like you can still be an athlete and be trans. They're not mutually exclusive categories. And just because you're not playing the sport that you grew up playing because you've decided to medically transition, you can still consider yourself an athlete and be a part of that culture. I have a feeling we're not going to, we have, it's, this is not the last we're going to hear from you. I have a feeling we're going no. to be hearing a lot more of you in the years ahead on this and a lot of other things. Where do you see yourself five or 10 years down the road? So I'm in a, I'm studying occupational therapy right now, but even though I will be getting a master's in that, I am hoping to go to school and get a PhD in English or literature with a focus on creative writing. And then eventually I want to teach poetry, but also possibly work towards a counseling or a law degree to help um, trans identifying people either change their names, work on that sort of aspect of transitioning, like the legal aspect, or work within the mental health field uh, for people who are LGBTQ or also I'm a big advocate for um, victims of sexual assault and sexual violence. And so... I just want to work in those fields and be able to help people using my own experiences and hopefully save people's lives. Say a few years down the road, some young person looking to maybe make their transition happen. 
they come up to you, they perhaps heard your story or, or read your book, read some of your poetry, and they're like, I'm trans. Is there a place for me in sport? What would you tell them? There's a hundred percent a place for you in sports. And I would tell them stay in sports, regardless of if you're playing or not, make your presence in sports a thing. Like no matter what you have to do, be in that environment and advocate for yourself and for others. Kerr is also an accomplished poet. In fact, the book poetry they published last year recently won an award. And that's the Red Alert Claxon. You know what that means. Got to give love to the sponsors. But when we come back, our second honoree, someone who stood in the gap in the face of the biggest controversy in college sports this year. I'm Carly Chardonnay-Webb. This is the Transporter Room. Stay with us. Welcome back to the Transporter Room. I'm Carly Chardonnay-Webb, and we're continuing with our salute to some friends of the podcast who are also graduates this week. Our second honoree graduated from University of Pennsylvania Law School. Yeah, that University of Pennsylvania. Leah Thomas's University of Pennsylvania. And by the way, the NCAA champion in Division I at the fi- in the 500 Yard Freestyle, graduated with her undergraduate degree this past weekend as well. She said that she has ambitions to attend law school. Among the graduates at University of Pennsylvania's law school is a young woman named Maya Reddy. People in the sport of golf know that name. She was a Division III All-American at Claremont McKenna out in California. And she earned a Symmetra Tour card. But being queer and South Asian and conservative pro golf didn't quite mesh. The harsh memories of not being welcome led Reddy to leave the tour. But also it led her to law school and an ambition to go into human rights law. Now, as the Leah Thomas issue got white hot, Reddy got a group of fellow Penn Law students and affiliated organizations together to draft the first mass support for Thomas that was ahead of the school, ahead of the Ivy League, and light years ahead of the NCAA, and mounted a direct challenge to the anti-trans media onslaught placed on Leah Thomas. Maya Reddy had a lot to say and a story to share. We're seeing all of these attacks on just the right to play, the ability for kids to play. And for me, that's not just solely an issue about that hurts trans folks. It's not solely an issue that hurts queer folks. Um, Speaking about Leah Thomas, right, it's not just an issue that affects undergraduate elite swimmers or elite athletes. For us, it's really looking at the fact that these legislative attacks are um, singling out a group of people uh, because a lot of legislators don't like them. 
Um, and I think for us as law students, a lot of conversations that myself and, and the group of us who spearheaded this effort had was looking at the ways in which these anti-trans bills dovetail into issues of reproductive justice, race, and um, disability rights. Because when you're looking at it, it's really attacking bodily autonomy, the ability for folks to enter space and to just simply exist and simply play and have fun. Um, and along with that, when you're looking at the NCAA policy, the IOC's policy, um, there are very specific hormone uh, requirements that, of course, of course, for me and, and my, my classmates who kind of, we wrote this together, it's like, yes, not only is this bodily autonomy, but that is necessarily going to implicate reproductive justice and access to medical you know, care, um, which again, involves disability rights as well. So this is kind of this linchpin issue that for us, it's kind of like, okay, it's a Trojan horse. These legislators, these assholes, sorry for my <laughs> language. Um, no, it, it's apropos. Me. It's a, after all, we, we gave an award a couple weeks ago called the asshole of the year award. And Amazing. we had so one group that was assholes. actually proud, yeah. But and we had one group that that tweeted us back and said, "We're proud. Thank you for the award. We're proud of it. We're honored." Wow. Yeah. Wow. That's that's a lot. What was was there like a particular incident? Was there something that kind of got you motivated to say, "No, we need to speak out. We need to speak out now." We have a responsibility as law students, as folks within the legal profession, uh, to say something, um, to advocate for um, the trans community, especially when these attacks are coming from a legal basis. There was this one person who was in the Penn Law Review's mentions um, with this hashtag saying Penn Cheats, uh, you know, addressing Leah. Um, and this person kept saying, this is illegal. Like, this is against Title IX. Like, I want to see the courts take this up. And it's like, okay, the courts have taken this up. This is not illegal. Um, and, you know, for me on a personal level, I'm just like, I am not going to stand by and see people, you know, willy nilly throw around these um, really bad faith references to the law, which they don't really know that much about as a way to, I guess in their minds, validate their claims and kind of use the the trump card, so to speak, of the law. <laughs> Good pun. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> these transphobic statements are in the mentions of our law review. So people are clearly looking at the law school or these journals as powerful institutions to say something. And so we were talking about how do we utilize that to say, nope, you guys are being assholes. Um, and that's kind of like how this idea formed. Hashtag pen cheats. Just gut it's, reaction to that. Oh, it's bullshit. Like there's no, no, that's pen cheats or the inclusion of trans folks equals cheating. It's just 
it doesn't make sense. It's not, it, it's not a thing. Like, how do no, you? No, it's not a thing. It is, it's not it is a thing a, at all. Especially when I like, I have a rule that when people say, for example, Lee is cheating, or there's a cheater, or Lee is cheating, or Dr. Veronica Ivy's cheating, or Cece Telfer, they're cheating. I always point to, okay, if they're cheating, cheating means you encroach against the rule. So show me where the rule was broken. Get me the NCAA rule book. I'll even give you a link to it if you need it, and show me where it is, and no one can ever, no one can ever do it. And I said, I can save you the trouble. You won't find it. I was pissed. I don't know how, like, I'm so angry every time I see, um, like you were saying, for a really long time, it was a lot of um, right-wing news outlets that were covering Leah um, in vitriolic ways. Um, And that pissed me off because it was just like, dude, Leah just wants to swim. And now all of a sudden, just by virtue of being a trans person, she's being thrust into this very, the spotlight that I, 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 I'm sure she may have not asked to be in, especially one that's so dominated by um, transphobia and hate. How much of what you saw here and what got in that letter in some ways comes from your own sporting experience? I'm still going through a lot of God bless therapy and and helping me kind of process my experiences with golf. But, you know, like I know what it feels like to not feel welcome in your sport and to have your sport say in all of these different ways from, you know, the microaggressions to the blatant aggressions um, that you don't belong. And all you want to do, all I've ever wanted to do is play golf. Like, I'm sorry. I, I guess at the heart of hearts, I'm just a retired old white man who's in law school and plays golf. Um, But I mean, like, I just wanted to play my sport and I was damn good at it. I still am good at it. But everywhere I looked in my sport, said that I didn't belong or, you know, I wasn't even able to kind of look um, at the LPG. Like, of course, Annika Sorenstam, of course, Michelle Wee, like icons, people that I looked up to. And at the same time, I didn't see people that either looked like me or were speaking about, like acknowledging the existence of queer people. Um. And so I very intimately know what it feels like to not belong or to be, to know that you belong and and be told that you don't belong or you're not welcome. And I, I don't know, for me, it's just like, I don't, I wish I could go back and change that for myself. Like, I wish that the world that we're living in now, and it's not perfect, but there is significantly more inclusion than there was when I was playing, which was like what only five or six years ago um but still it's completely different and i think that that's kind of the driving thing for me it's like i know like you belong we all belong in sports and to have sports once again the stupid thing that i love say that you don't belong is is just batshit insane um and so and I think like what you were talking about earlier about cheating. Um, yeah. Like I, it's like, 
it minimizes the hard work that every athlete puts into their sport. Um, and it equates someone's authentic identity, being able to celebrate and fully be who they are um, to what, like the deceptive nature of taking performance enhancing drugs. And they are not the same fucking thing. And to me, that's just <laughs> like, I, I just started like boxing. And so it makes me want to just go and like punch my punching bag because <laughs> what? Like you're telling all of these attacks, all of these kind of um, all of this rhetoric around cheating is basically saying, if you are your authentic self, if you are truly who you are, then that's cheating. In the case of this letter, what's the next step for the effort that you've been a part of and that this group of students have been a part of and these organizations have been a part of it, What's next as far as the law school in this issue? Because it's going to continue all the way to NCAA championships in March. Oh, absolutely. Um, I think that the next steps are, I, I mean, I feel bummed that I'm graduating and, and that I, I won't be able to be here to keep kind of fighting the fight within the school. But I mean, I really think that it's going to continue being the law students uh, taking a stance and, and saying that this is not okay, combating the fact that there are, like I had mentioned, a lot of bad faith legal arguments being made um, and using the fact that, hey, you know, we may just be law students, but we still know the law. Like we know the law more so than the keyboard warriors on Twitter. Um, and we go to the institution that, you know, we're a part of the institution that is going to the, the NCAA championships that, and, and I think that it is important for us to continue taking a stance and continue, you know, not only making it clear that we support athletes, uh, trans athletes like Leah, um, but that we support trans folks within our institution period. Um, because like I had mentioned earlier, law schools, um, are not very welcoming of marginalized people. Like that's just how the institution has been. And, and there have been, there are lots of folks making changes, but not only is taking a stand, um, supporting Leah and trans athletes very, very important. But it's also really important in demonstrating that law students, folks at the school, support, recognize, and love trans folks. A quote from what you wrote in Athlete Ally, it was in 2016. You're on the Symmetra Tour, and you said, every time I went to a golf course, I felt unsafe. Remember, I remember the first time I felt this so vividly. I walked onto the tear driving range one morning. I heard hearty laughs drift towards me, breaking the silence. There was a group of five people, including my swing coach, person I trusted with everything. And I, I heard spiteful jokes about Middle Eastern and South Asian ethnicities peppered with homophobic sides. With every joke came a laugh, and with every laugh, I tasted a sickly bile rise in my throat as my stomach flipped. Hearing that now, what's the visceral response? And a follow-up to that is, was that, that, was that the moment when you said, I don't know if I want this tour card? 
I mean, it, hearing it now, I just feel really sad because I, I remember that. Like I, I, like I'm seeing that in my mind's eye, and I don't know. It, it's it's hard. Like I, I still feel really hurt. It, I mean, these instances, these experiences were kind of what drove me out of the sport. Um, just to say, it's like hearing that over and over and over again, which is, is what happened. Um, you know, like I had a really, really severe mental breakdown because I didn't feel safe in the sport I loved. I was still working my ass off to be as good as I could be. But I was so, there was this part of my brain or like a huge part of me that's like on edge about the discrimination that I was facing, you know, constantly kind of being hypervigilant about that, which obviously wasn't giving me as much brain space to be able to focus on my game. And then my game plateaued and just everything was so frustrating. So it wasn't that one time on the the range where I was like, you know, I, I got to rethink this idea. It was an accumulation of experiences like that where I was seeing how much it was affecting my mental and emotional health and in turn how that was basically fucking up my golf game and how though that was just wildly frustrating because you're sitting there and I was like, I belong here. I know I'm good. Like I know that I am better than this. And everything is telling me that I don't belong in all of these different ways. Um, and so I, I mean, I really, really reluctantly step, stepped away from the sport um, playing professionally because of like trying to protect my mental health. Um, but, you know, I, I still feel, feel really sad and I feel as if something was taken away from me. Um, and you know, I'm, I'm still redefining my relationship with golf now. Having been on the Symmetra tour, there is someone who is a friend of friend of the podcast who will Talking be doing about so, Haley so, Davidson. Yeah, there you go. There you go. So you already Fucking know. Love Haley. What, no, I adore Haley. <laughs> so do we here at the transporter room. We think Haley Davidson's awesome. And I am I'm looking forward to one day wearing the Haley Davidson golf line. If you if you have a chance to talk to Haley, what are some things you would tell her as she's we, entering in? Actually, some, oh, so you have so you've say, had a, so you've had a chance to kind of interface here. We text a lot. Um, I, I love Haley, and I'm I'm very very grateful to uh, have become friends with her. Um, but yeah, we text a lot about this um, and. I don't know. I think that the fairness in women's sports thing is bullshit because fairness in women's sports means like title nine says affording us all the same opportunities as the men do. Um, and you can't just segregate out a group of women from that because you have this really strict idea of femininity, which is not a thing. Um, and it's it's just shades of the same things that happened in various eras of sports inclusion, right? Like race, um, gen, you know, like gender in the very first place that led to Title IX. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and it's just happening again. And so that's not fairness for women because you are excluding women um, based off of some stupid idea you have about being a woman is defined by your chromosomes or your like hormone levels, which it's not. Um, and I also think that like the biggest issue within women's sports, like if you're really talking about fairness in women's sports, it is um, investment, like the ability to actually make money, like you cannot just kind of like scrounge around. Um, and most importantly, it's protections against abuse. Um, I think that, you know, we saw that come to the forefront um, with uh, Larry Nasser and, and women's gymnastics. Uh, and it, you know, it's sad that it took that long um, because so many of us who are in sports know how rampant abuse is from sexual abuse to uh mental abuse emotional abuse um and it happens a lot like i my one of my college coaches uh mentally abused me mentally and emotionally abused me for a year my last year and i that's not unique to me a lot of the folks that i've played tournaments with have had similar experiences and yet that's not being talked about because that is that's what fairness in women's sports, that's what protecting women's sports is. It's not excluding a group of women from women's sports for to serve just your discriminatory efforts. Because that's if you're going to protect women's sports, you have to protect all women. You will graduate with an Ivy League law degree this spring. What's next? What's the next avenue for Maya Reddy? Um, I mean, the whole reason why I went to law school is to kind of work in sports inclusion. Like all I've ever wanted to do is kind of work in sports inclusion for queer and trans folks. Um, when I got to, kind of, you know, every time somebody asked me, what do you want to do? I'm like, gay sports stuff because <laughs> that's that's really what i want to do um and i've been really lucky to get to work with the the folks that athlete ally and lieberman they're a force and they keep saying to not call them an icon but they are um with the incredible folks at um the national center for lesbian rights um and lambda legal um and who are all working on these issues of sports inclusion within policy advocacy as well as litigation. Um, and that's what I want to do. Like, I, I want to use my personal experiences in playing sports and as a queer woman of color, along with my, the knowledge that I'm getting from law school, um, to, to, to fight more for sports inclusion. Um, yeah. But that's what I want to do. <laughs> Congratulations, E. Kerr. Congratulations, Maya Reddy. And I know you're both on your way to some bright futures. And I'm glad that the future includes making those who come behind you have a safer way to go in sports and in society. And a special thanks to all of you in Transporter Room Nation who have made this last year of me as a solo host, a gem. And oh, 
we plan on going on. Year number two is just ahead. And a reminder, there's something you want to see or someone you want to see or something you want to say about what I'm doing, by all means, leave a message on our Twitter page or Facebook page and at our Instagram presence, Transporter Room 10 Ford, because you know, everything I do at the Transporter Room, I do for all of you. I do it for the people who support us. Because it's the people who support us through their community and solidarity that's going to get our community through these tough times of backlash and pain. It's that community and solidarity that will build inclusive sport and an inclusive world. It'll be because of the Maya Reddys and the E. Kerrs and the C.C. Telfers and the Lane Morgans, the Alana McLaughlins, the J.C. Coopers, all the Jake Danielses. Good on you for coming out, Jake. And the Tom Dalys and the Raven Saunderses. It'll be because of the next Sid Zieglers and Jen Budzinski's take the bull by the horns the way they did 22 years ago. And I thank them both for giving me an opportunity to speak out via Outsports. And thank you, Alex Reimer, for calling out homophobia wherever you see it. Thank you, Ken Schultz, for standing up with heart and with humor. Thank you, Shelby Weldon, for giving us the info that we may not know about. You always bring things to the table. And thank you, Brian Bell, for bringing me back to wrestling. Thank you all for being great colleagues. And thank you, Don Ennis, for being there with me that day three years ago. You've been a good mentor and a good friend. I leave you this week with a poem I performed in 2021. It talks about my own journey and what being a part of this community, my community, our community means to me. Live long and prosper, steady as she goes. I'll catch you all next week. I let go of straight and narrow and being what the script said I should be. I let go of what's demanded, let go of hostile and heavy-handed. I don't need to build a brand and I will not be branded. I let go of success in me, 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 and set me free to be the best me. I let go of the cliches and the gameplays and all the clickbait corporate catchphrase. Instead of being a game changer, I seek regime change. I march to change the inhumane systems. I must right the wrongs as we list them. I let go of nihilism and cynicism and found my revolutionary optimism. No more hiding me away in fear. My life got better when it got queer. Aqui, ahora, here, now. Pose, work, and be effective. I found my individual works best in a collective. I let go of the mundane, inane, and doing things over, over, over again, because that's insane. I let go of the past and the future to stay in this minute of time. I'll make the climb and I will not look down. I will reach the crown that we all will wear and a vision that we all will share. I let go of my doubts of where I fit in and just accepted that I fit in and didn't question and accepted comradeship, and accepted the acceptance of a new family, my family, our family. My life got better.
better when I let go.